This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. And I know this personally as I use Squarespace for my website and find it so easy to use with plenty of great templates to choose from to make it look super engaging and professional, even for a technophobe like me. And if you need any more encouragement, here are some of the amazing things Squarespace offer. You can start a completely personalised website with the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint AI. You can also sell your products and services with an online store. From hand-knitted decorations to digital content or services, Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. Squarespace supports entrepreneurship by helping you to easily manage your clients and invoices in one streamlined workflow. Head to squarespace.com forward slash fail 10. That's fail 1010 for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code fail 10 to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode of How to Fail is sponsored by Vichy Laboratories, whose product Mineral 89 Hyaluronic Acid Hydrating Serum has been described very accurately as a glass of water for your skin. I don't know about you, but I have been reading for years about the benefits of hyaluronic acid on your skin, and this is the product to use. Don't just take my word for it. It has been approved by the British Skin Foundation. Not only that, but it's hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested. It is an intensely hydrating skincare solution, clinically proven to hydrate, plump and boost skin's radiance for healthy, glowing skin. There are over 1,500 five-star consumer reviews and it's also award-winning. It's Glamour Magazine's 2020 Best Hydrating Serum, which shows just how much other people love it. Anyway, we all need a bit more hydration during lockdown, don't we? So if you would like a Vichy Laboratories Mineral 89 Hyaluronic Acid Hydrating Serum, go to lookfantastic.com and use the code HEALTHYSKIN20, or one word, HEALTHYSKIN20, for 20% off Mineral 89 products. This offer is available until the 31st of March. Thank you very much to Vichy Laboratories. Hello and welcome to How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, the podcast that celebrates the things that haven't gone right. This is a podcast about learning from our mistakes and understanding that why we fail ultimately makes us stronger. Because learning how to fail in life actually means learning how to succeed better. I'm your host, author and journalist Elizabeth Day, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what they've learned from failure. Alexandra Burke is a singer, but not just any singer. After winning the X Factor in 2008, Burke became the first British female solo artist to have a million-selling single. Anyone who watched that series, and I certainly did, will remember Burke for both the staggering quality and tone of her voice, as well as her professionalism and ability to nail a dance routine. She is arguably one of the best all-round performers the show has ever produced. In the final, she duetted with Beyonce, who later described Burke as a superstar. Her debut album, Overcome, sold over 850,000 copies, and she went on to earn three Brit Award nominations. 
More recently, Burke received rave reviews in the West End for her lead roles in the stage adaptations of The Bodyguard and Sister Act. Pandemic permitting, she'll be touring the country in the theatrical version of My Best Friend's Wedding at the end of the year. She's also currently writing and recording her fourth studio album. But it hasn't always been easy. Her mother, Melissa Bell, who was one of the lead singers for Soul to Soul, died in 2017. Burke threw herself into work to cope with her grief, signing up for Strictly Come Dancing and eventually coming second. The rehearsal room has become my sanctuary, she said at the time. It is a happy place where I force myself to leave my grief at the door. Last year, prompted by the wave of Black Lives Matter protests across the globe, Burke opened up about her own experiences of racism in the music industry, revealing she was once told to bleach her skin. She refused. Her strength of mind and purpose has seen her navigate these sometimes choppy waters with grace, but the media has not always understood her. I've become quite vulnerable, she said in an interview in 2018, and I've realised vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. Alexandra Burke, you could not be speaking more my language. Welcome to How to Fail. Oh, wow. I mean, if you... (laughs) I just want to say thank you for that lovely introduction. Oh, it was really beautiful. Thank you very, very much. There's a lot that you've just said there that actually I put in the back of my mind and I like tend to forget about as time goes Mm. on. And you've just said a lot of things that I've gone, oh, wow. Yeah, it's just made me choke up a little bit. So thank you. Oh, Alexandra, listen, it's, it's such a delight. And actually, I really enjoyed researching that introduction because... It reminded me so vividly of watching that X Factor series. I remember the duet with Beyonce, obviously, but I also remember you performing the Christina Aguilera song, Candyman. Candyman. And doing a, I mean, doing this incredible dance routine and singing at the same time. And it still blows my mind. You know, it's it's funny you bring up that particular song because that was the song I I didn't want to sing. And I remember being given the choice. It was Big Band Week and they said, right, you're doing Candyman. And I was like, have you heard the lyrics? (laughs) I was like, I don't want to sing this song. I just remember... Simon, actually, because Cheryl was my mentor, but Simon kind of was overseeing every single act as well. And uh, I just remember him saying to me, if you do this song, it can change your whole life because you sing and you dance. And I just want to put both together with a band. He goes, it's just, it's what you do. And I just thought, oh, if he believes in me, then I'll give it a shot. And actually, it's one of my favourite performances. I mean, take away from performing with Beyonce, but... Standalone, that one definitely is, I've got to say, one of my favourite performances. And I still have the Alexander McQueen dress in my house. (gasps) And I only took it out the wardrobe the other day and looked at it and thought, I can't believe I have an Alexander McQueen original dress just in my house, just chilling upstairs. It's unbelievable. Do you have Beyonce's phone number in your mobile? I (laughs) don't. I don't, (laughs) but there are ways that I do contact her and she is a very special, incredible, humble woman. Very. Oh, that is so nice to hear. So are you still in touch with her? Yeah, like when she comes over to the UK and she does her tours and stuff, I go to see her shows if I'm around and stuff like that. And when I was in the States as well, I'll never forget the time when I was recording in the studio and she just casually popped in with a glass of white wine in her hands and offered me one. I thought, oh no, I'm not going to drink whilst I'm singing, but it was really sweet. And I just got really flustered and nervous around her. But every time I've seen her since, she's always been 
so welcoming and has always made me feel like I'm just like a, a normal person, even though I'm her biggest fan. And I really do act up when I see her because I start sweating and start getting really nervous. <laughs> and she takes no notice and she treats me like I'm just a human. And it's great. What was it like for you experiencing that level of sudden fame? Because that is the thing with The X Factor. Although I know it wasn't an overnight success, which we'll come on to later, it's perceived as an overnight success. And you're suddenly under loads of pressure to do lots of very public things. What was that like for you? Well, I was only 19 when I auditioned. I just turned 20 and one. And I really have to thank my mum for the experience she went through with Soul to Soul to is why I was able to handle certain things. I consider myself as one of the lucky ones because I had a mum that was in the industry. So really I had like one up on certain artists that are starting out because I had a mum that's gone through stuff and had told me if this happens and that happens, this is how you handle it, get thick skin, etc. take things with a pinch of salt, blah, blah, blah. So I had a very great, really amazing support system. I still do. But back then it was just vital to have that. And I really do feel sorry for people who don't have those kind of people in their lives when they're starting out in the music industry because it can be intense and it is very intense. But I think for me, I was singing live with bands and in pubs and bar mitzvahs, weddings, funerals, you name it, from the age of nine. So Mm. to have an audience in front of me was kind of normal for me, but to have the fame that came with it, I've never really enjoyed it if I'm honest with you, because I'm such a private person. I enjoy being at home. I enjoy having family quality time, like quality time with my friends. I love just going on long dog walks. I love doing very normal things. And I'm very lucky to actually have a career and doing something that I love. But the fame part of it, I've always been quite afraid to, hmm, to really just be me because I'm being watched all the time. So I've always been scared to just be myself and always felt like I've had to be someone who I'm not at times, you know? And that's what scares me about fame is that sometimes you can't truly feel your authentic self. And I definitely felt that when I was younger, but it's since definitely changed now that I'm in my thirties. This is quite a weird thing to say to you, but many, many years ago, I was sitting in the Fulham branch of Starbucks in Southwest mm-hmm. London. Right. <laughs> and I used to go to cafes to like write my novels. I also write books. And I think I was writing my first ever novel and you came in. <gasps> and yeah, and and you were immediately recognized by everyone in Starbucks. <gasps> And you handled that with such grace. I mean, I used that word in the introduction for a reason. And you were really, you had lovely energy and you were really kind. And you said to everyone, thank you for the support. And then you went out with your latte or whatever. I just think, you know, first of all, kudos to you for managing that. But also how difficult it must be to be that kind of famous where you can't just go into a cafe to get a coffee. Like you have to think about everything. Well, you know what? I'll be honest with you. As you can probably tell by now, I love to talk and I love meeting (laughs) new people. So when I meet people on the street or meet people whenever, I just talk to people. People find me a little bit weird and that's okay because I will just talk to anyone. But it's just like, I love people. So for me, that's probably, I I feel like I'm very lucky that I can just talk to anyone. And my mum's taught me how to be that way. But yes, you do have to think about things that when, like even to now, I mean, the only thing that's really saving me right now when I walk out in the street is the mask. And then when (laughs) I talk behind that mask, people go, 
oh my God, are you, are you that singer? And I go, yeah, I'm the singer, but which one do you think I am? And they went, Alexandra Burke. This was just in Tesco's the other day, by the way. Um, wow. <laughs> I'm just describing one time, but I mean, and then I just have a conversation with a random stranger and then I'll just like follow them on Instagram and sometimes they'll message me and I just stay in touch. I'm really weird like that, guys. I'm really sorry, but I love people. I love meeting mm. new people. I think it's great. I mean, I can feel your warmth coming through the airwaves and we're talking without seeing each other, but I I definitely get that sense from you. But let's start with your failures because they're very self-aware failures and they encompass Mm -hmm. so much of what I really want to talk to you about. Actually, first of all, how difficult did you find it to come up with these failures? Oh, very, 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 very difficult. I remember when we got the email and I was told oh, Alex, you've got like a couple of weeks to do your failures. And I thought, oh, I've got ages. This is great. And then I didn't really think about it. And then when it got down to crunch time and I was writing them, I thought to myself, maybe I should write a little bit of information for you just to understand why I'm saying these failures. And so I started, you know, writing down how I felt. And I've just so you know, I've kept a journal since 1999, if not before. So I and I have all my diaries here. So I'm used to just like writing down my feelings. And I haven't written in my journal in a couple of months, like, I would say about six months because actually I've been going through my own personal things and I just felt like I've not been able to be brave enough to write in my journal recently. And then when I was writing down these failures, it took me to a really weird place emotionally, a little bit mentally, and I had to stop. And I had two friends in my house. One of my friends is a support bubble and just helps me out with some things so I can help my auntie out. And he came over to drop some shopping off and I sat with them and said to two of my friends, I went what's your failures in life? And I asked them Hmm. and I felt to myself, I needed to talk about it. So I started talking about mine and it just brought me to tears. So I'm really praying I don't cry in this interview now uh, because I don't want to cry. And I think like you've always said in all of your interviews that you've done with everyone, you've said it's about growth and, and it's about learning about yourself and how you can move forward. So these failures aren't a bad thing, but for some reason it took me to a very emotional place. So if it takes me there today, it takes me there today. But I'm feeling like it's quite a nice thing to talk about it. Honestly, I feel like there is no more generous act than showing authentic emotion. And yeah. so yeah. if it does take us there, that's fine. And yeah. I'll cry too. And, there you go. and, and I'm We're sorry. This, I'm sorry really that, it. yes, totally. I'm sorry I took you to an emotional place, but no, I'm also okay. extremely grateful And I think lockdown as well, you know, we're talking during the third lockdown and it just brings a lot of stuff up when, especially as you are, you're used to traveling around and touring and going here, there and everywhere. And suddenly we're all in our own homes and we are left alone with the chatter of our internal minds. And that's a really difficult thing. It's hard. And what I did do in last year when I actually stopped touring in February, I decided to take six months off for my own mental health. That was only meant to last until August last year and then go back on tour. And I thought during that time, I'm going to work on me and work on the things that I know will make me happy. And one of them was getting a life coach. I've been speaking to my life coach once a week, consistently. I've stopped for the past couple of months because she's just had a baby, bless her heart. But she's been someone that actually has helped me tremendously throughout lockdown I feel like she's made me a little bit stronger and I'm just grateful that I took the courage to do therapy because I never thought that I could do it and it's taken me some time since my mum passed to actually acknowledge grief and acknowledge Mm. my pain and acknowledge everything really 
Well, you're speaking to someone who has fortnightly therapy, so I completely understand where you're coming from. Good for you (laughs) for taking that choice. Your first failure, it slightly breaks my heart to read it out loud, but your first failure is thinking that you're never good enough. So tell us about that and what happens when you think that. Um, Or what's the first time you remember thinking that, thinking that you were never good enough? Don't apologise at all. Um... Oh my gosh. Sorry, I just... No, don't be sorry. I completely understand. The way you wrote it to me is so raw because this is a failure or a self-perceived failure that seems to spread its roots into so many areas of your life and what you've been through. And I wonder if part of it... I mentioned earlier, like, you won the X Factor and are one of the most amazing winners of any X Factor ever. But you. you actually went up for a previous series, didn't you? And got through to the final yeah. stage, but then when I was 16, silly old Louis Walsh didn't take you through. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't believe it. You were yeah. always so together. Um, <laughs> but I suppose that's interesting. It, did that yeah. make you feel that you weren't good enough and that then you had I- to put in extra effort? I'll be honest with you, it all stems from my teenage years. I think it stems from going through that period, actually, when I was on X Factor at 16 was very tough because I wasn't, my mum and I didn't have a relationship. So we weren't speaking for about two years, which was very tough for any young person to go through. And we just used to not really see eye to eye at times because my mum always wanted the best for me. And she sacrificed a lot for her children and I went on to have what I thought at the time was a good relationship. It was a very bad and toxic and abusive relationship. And that's where it all really started from 16 years old. So going from that into X Factor to being told you're too young and this is not for you. And then still just grafting and doing every gig that I could possibly get when I was younger to working in pubs, clubs, et cetera, just to make some money. And and it wasn't a lot back then, but I just kept trying and to get the experience. It really does start from there. And it feels like it's filtered into relationships as well. And when I say that, I mean, love relationships where I've Mm. been through recently a couple of relationships where when the breakups sadly happen and you know everything happens for a reason and I really live by that but when the breakups sadly happen I won't say who it is but I've been told from an ex-partner once sat me down and said I just can't be with you because you are famous you have too much attention around you but thanks so much for letting me live rent free in your house (laughs) and I was like oh Okay, and that wow. was a really long-term relationship. And and that's just one example. And it just makes you think to yourself, or it makes me think to myself, I just think, well, am I good enough? Am I enough for someone? Oh, my darling. You are. You so are. You are so more than enough. And that's the issue, is that when you are with someone who is less than, who isn't worthy of you, that's where they'll go with it. Because you are complete in and of yourself. You absolutely are. You have so much to give. And I find it so cruelly unfair that you haven't met someone who knows themselves well enough to support that and embrace you. But that's on them. Yeah. And I do feel like I'm sounding really upset about it now. It's it's because I'm talking about it and but I feel like where my head's gone in the past year, for example, with having a life coach, she's really helped me realise that 
I am deserving of love and that I can, I can have it and it will all happen at the right time. And I'm a very spiritual person. And I always say that God's time is the best timing. Um, Mm. And every relationship is there as an experience and a learning curve. And I've been so fortunate that I have amazing people around me to help me when I'm at my lowest. And because all the time it feels like I'm having to put a facade on, like I'm having to put a mask on and pretend I'm okay all the time. And I've learned recently that actually I can be honest with people and say that I'm not okay and say if I am or if I'm not and not feel ashamed of how I truly feel. And um, it's taken me to get to my 30s to really understand that. But I'm grateful for it. Very, very Alex, it. it's taken me until my 40s. So you're already winning <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> you know, so much of what you say like rings a massive chord with me because I think that a lot of my drive comes from an attempt to prove that I'm worthy of love. Yeah. And it's a whole different podcast episode, like where that comes from in my life. But I think that that has made me someone who works extremely hard because yes. I will keep trying to oh my gosh. get that. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. Um, so that as if yes. by magic, yes. that's my, that's my mother FaceTiming me. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so sorry. I've declined her. It's okay. I didn't um, even hear. But I think there's that level of it where you're sort of trying to prove that you're worthy of attention. And then Mm -hmm. with you, because I know that you're the eldest of, is it four or you've got four Uh, siblings? I'm the the second from youngest. Oh, sorry. Yes. Good research, Elizabeth. Well done, me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're okay. (laughs) But I think also for you, that thing that you say about not having a relationship with your mother, I guess that Mm. at that particular point in your life, you had to grow up really fast. Oh, so so quick. Yeah. And that thing of having a facade must come from then. It does. It really does. And you know what? It's like my mum gave me really good schooling when I was younger in the sense of taking things with a pinch of salt and not taking things too personally and when I was much younger and you know like it's difficult at times to be the strong person all the time and to be the one that provides and to look after people and stuff like that and it takes its toll on you for me I've got such a massive love for what I do that I don't stop thinking about music I don't stop thinking about dreaming of touring and singing on stage and having a microphone in my hand and music just means so much to me because of where it's come from it's come from my mum the woman that made me and to see her success and to see her have four kids and to still have a career and travel the world like I wanted everything she had if not more and this failure when it comes into my music I, I touched on it when I spoke about my experience in the music last year on Instagram, I was sat down and told, you're never going to be good enough because of your colour. You're never going to sell a certain amount of records because, you know, you may not appeal to a certain audience. And I was told to bleach my skin and you're never going to perform on the Brits because they wouldn't have a black artist perform on the Brits. The most you're going to do is just one X factor and that's the biggest it will get for you. And all of that is bullshit, excuse my French. It's just Mm. ridiculous because I was never brave enough to say that 10 years ago when I was told that. I sat there and thought, well, if that's the case, I'm just going to work really hard so that I can achieve everything you've told me that I can't. 
And, you know, granted, yes, I haven't performed on the Brits before, but I've been nominated. And that in itself is a huge honour. And all the little things about not selling music, well, that's rubbish too, because I have sold. So all the little things that I was told that you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, no, I have proved you wrong in some kind of way because I've worked really hard to try my best to achieve things that I'm proud of. But if it wasn't for my family, if it wasn't for my mum in particular, for my amazing, beautiful friends and the team I currently have around me, I don't know where I'd be mentally. Mm. If I'm honest with you, I don't know where I'd be because keeping that strong face and keeping that strong spirit up, don't get me wrong, I'm a very positive person, but it's very difficult to keep it up when you are feeling at your lowest. But also, and being made to feel literally like you can't be yourself. Yes. You're too much of something in this way or that way. I find it so depressing and flabbergasting that this was only 10 years ago that people were talking to you in these terms. And I Mm -hmm. feel angry on your behalf and you sound really mature and measured about it. But do you think, were you, I'm guessing you weren't allowed to be angry. No, but where did did you feel anger and where did it go? I think for me, so it takes a lot to really pee me off. (laughs) Like you could really do a lot to me and I would just sit there and go, okay, great. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't work. One of my best friends, Nalini, who we basically now live together because of lockdown. She's with me right now. She's just put her foot in my face to try and annoy me and it's not working. So, So, you know, it, it really doesn't work. But so I think there was a point where I was angry and I'd be honest with you, it only occurred in the past year because I'd bottled it up and mm. it only occurred when the Black Lives Matter movement happened. And I felt mm. myself angry around all of that because, first of all, with everything surrounding George Floyd and you know everything that happened there, I thought of my brother, my dad, my nephews, my cousins. You know, I thought of them and it could have been them. Then it stemmed into people direct messaging me and going, we know you've been through something and you've, you're not telling us the truth. And I was getting hundreds of DMs of people saying, speak up, speak up, speak, please just tell us what, what went on with you. And I ignored them. And I thought, I'm not speaking up. What have I got to talk about? No, not at all. And as the days went on, I found myself crying all the time, upset just watching the news and getting really upset at the things I'd gone through and then think and like talking to my brother and it's sparking up all of those emotions again. And then one day I was on a Zoom call writing a song and I felt this urge, something spiritually happened to me and I can't quite understand it, but I do to a degree. I felt like somebody was screaming in my ear going, speak up about your experiences stop hiding away from it. And if I felt it was my mum. And I remember just being on that Zoom on the computer and went, I'm really sorry, guys. I've got something to do. I've got to go. And just closed the computer, ran upstairs, put my phone into the phone holder thing, put it on airplane mode and just started to speak for 15 minutes. I just went for it. And it wasn't planned. I didn't have any notes. I didn't think about what I was doing. There's a lot I didn't speak about. Even my brother said to me, you missed this out. And I said to him, that wasn't the point. The point of it was, was for me to just release. And I really feel like the anger went when I released it. In Mm. that 15 minute video I put on my Instagram, the anger left me and it was a burden I didn't need to carry anymore. And since doing it, I felt at ease with myself. I've forgiven myself for holding on to it and not speaking up. I've forgiven myself for not speaking up sooner. And there's a lot of forgiveness in and around that video that I've just gone, now I can move forward and be me. And if people don't like it, tough. 
My mummy always used to say to me, you can't be everyone's cup of tea. And the moment you try to be, you failed. Not I, everyone's going to like you, you know? And I, that's okay. Yeah. I love that for you. I love that look for you. And yeah. I wanted to ask, because you mentioned personal, rela- like romantic relationships, yeah. do you feel able to be yourself in a romantic relationship? And I only ask you this from a place of my own experience, which is that mm-hmm. I didn't feel able to be myself until everything imploded in my life when I was like 35 and I got divorced and everything. But I think we're quite similar in this respect. And I wonder whether you spend a lot of time trying to please the other person Mm -hmm. in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So this is the first time I've been asked this question. And it's the first time I'm ever answering this. The truth is, there's probably only one relationship where I felt like I could be myself in my whole life. And that's when I was engaged when I was with my ex-partner Josh it's the only relationship I've been in where I felt like I could be myself and I have not experienced that since because I'm always pleasing the other person and always making sure that they're okay and everything's okay for them I completely don't even know who I am because I'm not even thinking of me and that's yeah it's wow yeah yeah I think so many women particularly of a certain age are raised that way, not necessarily by their parents, but by society to be nice and kind and pliant and thoughtful. Whereas Mm -hmm. boys are given more scope to experiment and be mischievous. And one of my former guests, Glennon Doyle, said this amazing thing that stuck with me that young girls are taught to look outward for permission when actually they need to be looking inward for permission, approval, for like self-knowledge. And I think it's a really hard thing to do and you should not beat yourself up about it. Yeah, because I've never been asked that before and never thought of that before. It's made my brain just think. And then I'm thinking Mm. of, I've dated a couple of people in the public eye. And actually the only relationship where I felt like I'd be myself is the only time I kept that relationship private. (laughs) And because I kept it private, I could be me. The moment it's in the public eye, from my experiences so far, I've never felt like I could be myself. And it's a shame because actually I love love. I love love so much. I love to love. I love, I love love. And I love the idea of marriage and kids and the whole dream. And I love it all. And I had this big old plan in my head that by 30, because Beyonce did, I'm going to do the same thing and have kids and make sure I'm married and make sure I'm settled. I put so much pressure. And I think a lot of women could probably relate to this, but I put so much pressure on myself to deliver that. And I wanted to do it for my mum. I wanted her to be there. I wanted her to see it. And it never happened. I don't have any sadness in and around it not happening because I know it will happen in the right time. But I do have sadness a little bit in the fact that I actually haven't been able to be my authentic self in majority of my relationships. And that's quite a hard one to digest for me. But it sounds like you're doing such amazing work on yourself. I'm trying. I really am. Yeah, honestly, I I feel it. Like when you emerge from lockdown, I feel it will be like an Alexandra (laughs) Burke where the two circles, the like the sphere of your public life and your private life will like come together and yeah. overlap finally so that you can kind of be yourself in yeah. every sphere of your life. 
honestly, I feel like the fact that you've had the courage to realise that that needs to happen is the biggest step you can take towards that. I want to tell you something, and I won't name the show until we stop recording, but I basically filmed a show in October, just gone. And I broke my ribs because of it. I've only just healed properly. I had a really sprained ankle. I came back home broken. All I can say is I came back from that show a lot stronger. Hmm. And I really feel that that particular experience I had in that week completely changed everything for me. So I think if you were speaking to me in September, this would be a very different conversation versus to where I am right now because of what I went through for a week. It literally was eight days, sorry, and my life was upside down in a great way. And I would love to speak to you about it more when we're allowed to. (laughs) Okay. That's so interesting that it literally took your body being broken. Yes. For you to realise that your spirit was being broken. Yes. My eyes opened up so much in that week that it's like I had an outer body experience. It was insane. And when I sit and think and talk about it, like only my family and close friends know what I'd done. But I think about it and I go... My body was completely in pieces for me to realise that I deserved a lot more. Hmm. I wanted to ask you specifically about the language that the media uses, particularly when it comes to their portrayal of strong black women. And I noticed something as I was, again, researching this interview, that some of the language felt really uncomfortable for me reading it now from a 2021 lens. There's a lot written about almost overconfidence, Mm -hmm. tipping into being a diva, Mm. finger clicking. All of that felt to me really icky because it's loaded, from my perspective anyway, which is one of ignorant white privilege, but it seems quite loaded to me. It seems like they were trying to say or imply something slightly different. And I just wondered what you thought of that. When it comes to me reading stuff about me in particular, I can only really date it back to when it really hit me was when I was doing Strictly Come Dancing. And when I was reading certain stories about myself, that I was being a diva, that I was throwing chairs across the room, that I'd hit my dance partner, that I was aggressive, Mm. that I was overconfident, that I was arrogant. I could not believe what I was reading week in, week out. Now, don't get me wrong. The first couple of weeks were fine. Then as soon as it hit about week three, week two or three, it was week after week and it was literally, let's just get Alex. That's how it felt. And that's how everyone at Strictly felt because we'd all talk about it quite openly. And I couldn't believe the lies. And this particular journalist actually knows me and I can't quite work out where it all went wrong for that person to write such absurd things about me. And there's a thing with any woman, doesn't matter your colour, any woman being strong. You are perceived to be arrogant. You are perceived to be not relatable. No one likes you because you're strong. Now, the word diva really comes from a strong female singer. It's a strong singer. We call people like Mariah Carey a diva because she's a strong singer. Whitney Houston, Aretha Franklin, Dionne Warwick, you know, Gladys Knight, you name them. I'm quite an old school girl, so I'm naming all the old school people. (laughs) But they are divas and they're amazing because they're fantastic singers and they are powerhouses. Unfortunately now, the word diva and the meaning is someone who is not very nice and someone who 
that's overly confident or whatever that may be to whoever. And, and that's the word that people associate with me. And I get it often. So I would be walking in the street and I'll give you one example of a young woman that stopped me in the street and she said, well, my daughter's a really big fan of yours. Do you mind if I get a picture? And I said, oh my God, of course, yeah. So we had a picture and I started speaking to her daughter and asking her how school was going and what her favourite subject was and stuff. And the mum turned to me and tapped me on the shoulder and went, I'm really sorry, I've just got to tell you something. And I said, what's that? She went, I thought you were going to be a bitch. <gasps> I said, sorry? She goes, everything I've read about you is absolutely horrible. And I thought you were going to be an absolute, complete and utter bitch to me and my daughter. And actually, you're really nice. <sighs> Oh my and gosh. I just burst into tears. And I've had that yeah. a few times because I can count them. It's been so many times, different occasions where they've gone, cool, the press are really wrong about you, aren't they? Or they say little, like, little comments like that. And I just stand there and I just go, well, you don't judge a book by its cover. And that's all I can mm. say. And, and I just say, you can't really judge anyone until you've met them. And, and this is another thing that stems back to me always trying to people please because I've always been bashing it, you know, not always been bashing the press. Don't get me wrong. Not everyone's done that to me. There have been lovely articles about me and people have, you know, interviewed me before and been really beautiful in the words they choose and stuff. So everything's not negative. I'm only speaking of the negative things, but the positive outweighs the negative 100%. But when I get comments like that, I sit and think to myself, why is this? And it only really hit me when Strictly happened and really it took its toll on me. And I remember tweeting to this particular journalist and saying to him, please, can you just stop? Because you're destroying me mentally. You're destroying me emotionally. And I really just don't understand where you're getting your lies from. And he replied back and said, I've got good sources. And I thought, no, but you're lying. You're lying. I haven't thrown a chair. I haven't hit Gorka. I haven't done any of that. Where are you getting this from? And it still breaks me to this day because I'm like, why are people allowed to print these kind of things? Because it destroys people. And it did destroy me mentally. Like it really, really hurt me. And, I, and I'm not trying to play the pity party because I'm not, but going through losing your mum, yeah. then trying to find an escape, which I did in the Strictly and I'm forever grateful for, to then going through reading weekly how horrible I am, mm. how bad I treat people, when it wasn't the truth. Oh, it I'm so sorry. So I just, <clears throat> kills yeah. me because people should be held accountable for the hurt they've caused mm. on other people. They should be. And I felt helpless in the sense of there was nothing I could do about it. It was my word against a national paper that I oh, couldn't control. Yeah, just, yeah. Really I'm so sorry. Me. That is so, so tough. And I sincerely hope that, as I think it will, this interview will write a lot of those horrible wrongs. Oh. I'm going to move on to your second failure now, which is also sure. a really emotional one. And I, again, I just want to applaud you for going there. You know, some people, Alex, just come up with like, I failed my driving test. But right. I'm glad <laughs> which, that you've gone you know. there. <laughs> <laughs> which we can do if you'd rather swap yes. one out but the, no, no, this no, no, one no. <laughs> well this one actually links really beautifully to what you were expressing there which is that you put work first and you felt that as a result you lost valuable time with your mum yes yes <clears throat> man I mean there is no one that I really know that likes work as much as I do <laughs> it sounds really <laughs> weird I love to work <laughs> whether it be five in the morning or 
11 at, at night, I would just keep going. And that's actually something that's not healthy at the same time. I have been touring for the past five years. It's been nonstop, like because of these lockdowns and because of everything that's happened, I've actually been able to put wallpaper on the walls in my house that I've lived in for nearly 10 years. And that's how busy it's been that I've only just started unpacking boxes, been here 10 years and only just about finishing this house. I've got one more room to do and it's still not finished. But that's because I've always worked and put it first. And as a result of putting work first, I've missed out on birthdays with my nieces and nephews, with my brothers and sisters, with my friends, with, you know, I've sometimes made myself feel like I'm an awful friend because I've missed out on everything. And sometimes I'm just too tired to even talk on the phone sometimes. And so I sometimes have to take naps in the day because I know I've got to sing at four o'clock. So I've got to steam my voice. And when you steam your voice, you can't speak for an hour. And I'm just so strict with the gift that God's given me that I don't want anything to jeopardize it. You know, I want to make sure I can pay my house and pay my bills and look after my family and provide. And when they need something, I want to be that person that can just be like, oh, it's fine. I'll handle it. I can do it. And that sometimes hasn't served me well. When my mum fell sick, basically it just all happened very suddenly. And we weren't expecting her to spiral so suddenly as well. Like everything was fine one minute and the next it was just like, it was two different people. My mum was the strong woman that could speak. And then all of a sudden she had a stroke and it was more to it than that. But we've not really talked about it as a family out in the public. So I can only keep information down to only what people really know out of respect to my family. But Mm -hmm. it was two different people. And when I said to my mum, I'm going to quit the tour I'm on at the time was Sister Act. And I had eight months left and I sat her down and I said, and she was in hospital and I said, right, mum, I've got nine months left and I'm going to quit. And you want to know what she said? She said, quit. She said, sorry, first of all, didn't raise a quitter. You better get your black ass on that stage tomorrow. And I went, sorry, what? She went, yeah, you heard me. You better get that black backside on that stage tomorrow. People have paid to watch you. And I looked at her and went, Jesus, mum, really? She went, it's only nine months. Come on, let's just get the tour over and done with. Then we'll have time. And so what I done for those nine months that no one knows, and you're the first person I'm telling, I would perform I'd have my phone on the stage with the stage manager. He'd have access to my phone and was giving me updates during every scene, every quick change about my mum and if she was okay and if anything was happening with her that I had to leave the show. And then I'd drive from wherever I was, Manchester, Sheffield, name it, sleep on the hospital floor, back to London, see to my mum, bought a blow-up mattress bed, see to my mum with my family, stay the night, go back and do a show. Oh my God. Wherever I was in the country. And I tell you, it was like three, four hours drive and Royal Free Hospital. I haven't been back there since or in the area, but I cannot tell you how amazing they were. Mm. I cannot tell you how amazing the NHS nurses and doctors were. When they told my mum, you have 72 hours to live and she couldn't communicate with us. They sat us down and said that. She gave us another eight months She gave us another Christmas. She gave us another birthday each. She gave us Mother's Day. She gave us her birthday. And then on the last day, the last day of my show, I finished in Blackpool. I drove home. I was driving back. I get a call. Alex, you need to come to the hospital now. So I revert the car. I get to the hospital. And she passes in my arms. 
within 10 minutes oh, of me being Christ. there. <laughs> oh my God. So I lost those nine months. I regret going on tour. I regret it so deeply because I had so much more time in my car and on the road than I did with my mum. And that really burns me because I should have just gone with my gut. I should have listened to myself. I should have just listened and told my mum, look, you're the priority and let me just quit this tour and let me be with you. But instead I listened to her, which she wanted me to do. And she didn't want me to let anyone down. She was very adamant that you can't let your fans down. Her thing, that's her, been her thing since I won X Factor is you cannot let your fans down. They are the reason why you are who you are. So they came first and my mum, she wouldn't have wanted it any other way. I'd done what I could. I'd done my best. I drove from every show. I slept on the floor. I was there. I was there. I'd done everything I could possibly do. Yeah. But putting work first that is something I now won't do at times. So when I know I need to give myself time back, I'm not very good at it yet. I'm still learning, but I will stop and maybe read a book or stop and meditate or stop and maybe do a, a yoga class and give myself something back or go for a dog walk or see my nieces and nephews and not hold it off till the next week. Cause you just don't know what tomorrow is mm. going to bring. If you can hold off work for a day, it's not going to hurt you. And I've learned that. And it's, it's really taken me a long time to stop putting work at the forefront because basically what that does is it covers every emotion I'm going through. That's what it's doing. I'm, yeah. I'm hiding what I'm going through because I'm working so much. And I truly regret doing that for the past 12 years since when in X Factor, it's been 12 years. And I put work first. I put work before my family, work before relationships, work before everything so that I'm in a position to provide for others. That's all I care about is helping others. And when I say that, I mean my family. Yeah. Alex, you know. I'm so choked up just listening to you talk about that. And I just want to say, I'm so sorry for your loss, for your grief, for the trauma of that. I also wanted to thank you for sharing something so honest and beautiful. And if I may, when you said that, I regret putting work first, it strikes me that you were putting what your mother wanted first. Yes. And that that's another way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. That actually, that's probably the way I should word it because that automatically made me feel a little bit better by you just saying that because it is what she wanted. And I'm sitting here right now talking to you with her picture right in front of me because I'm in my oh. studio and my studio basically has my mum everywhere because <laughs> she's my, <laughs> my inspiration. So I'm staring at her as I speak to you and it is what she wanted. It is what she wanted and it was what she asked of me. And, I mean, do you, you know, do you think, because I think, you know, I, like you, I don't really believe in regrets in the sense that I do believe most things, if you give them enough time, teach you necessary lessons. But what I do regret sometimes is, as you say, the time, like feeling that I haven't used time in quite the right way or wishing I had more time with someone who died. Mm. But is there anything that you felt like you hadn't said to your mum? Is that part of the regret or do you actually um, feel like all that time you did spend with her you said enough and you took yeah she knew I, that I, you loved her oh she knew oh my god my mummy knew <laughs> she <laughs> knew because uh oh just thinking about the love I have for my mum makes it just puts the biggest smile on my face because there's no love that I've experienced like it like that love from my mum and me to my mum was 
unbreakable. And I think for me, the regret is I lost two years when I was 16 because we didn't speak for two years. And yes, we resolved that and we became the best of friends. And I really believe, if I'm honest with you, I really believe that God gave me the opportunity at such a young age to be able to give my mum the life she deserved. Mm. And when I say that, I mean down to the cars she was driving. And I'm talking a couple of materialistic things, but this is coming from a woman who raised four kids as a single parent and toured with soul to soul and worked to put food on the table and clothes on our backs. And when we grew up, we'd go to my mum for a little example. Mummy, we really want that new gap jumper that's out. And she'd go to the chapel market in Angel and buy a fake one because we couldn't afford the real one. <laughs> she'd make sure we'd had what we wanted as kids. It may have been some fake clothes at times and she was never ashamed to say it. But my mum deserved everything. So she knew because I'd do anything for her. I'd do anything, anything she wanted, anything she asked for, mummy got. And it brings me joy that I was in a position to be able to do that. So I'm very mm. lucky. And that's why I say to myself, you know, I was 29 when my mum passed away. And I'm so lucky to have had that strong role model in my life for 29 years. And how I put things into perspective is I go, sadly, some people lost their parents when they were young. I was lucky to have my mummy for 29 years. That's a long, beautiful time. And what we shared in our memories and what we created together money couldn't buy that and as a family all the things we were able to do together it was magical and that's why I really feel like God gave me a beautiful opportunity at a young age because he wanted me to give my mum something back because she gave us kids so much so I live mm. with that and, I, and that makes me a bit happier and it makes me go actually she knew I loved her she knew I'd do anything for her and I often speak about my mum like she's still here just because and I she feel is. her all the time she, she really is yeah, yeah. Shall and in you and in your day. talent and yeah yes and it's funny because the older I'm getting is the more I'm sounding like her vocally like wow. every time I sing everyone talks about how much I sound like my mum and the last time I performed like I basically started a foundation in my mum's honour in her name and it's called the Melissa Bell Foundation and we raise money for underprivileged kids to attend Sylvia Young School because it's a school that my mum wanted to send me to so badly but we couldn't afford to so we've already put four kids through school and then the pandemic happened so we couldn't do last year and then this year we're trying to do other things for kids through my mum's foundation but my mum believed That's... in in the younger generation and wanted to make the younger generation big and she always believed that there was potential in every child so she started doing lessons and stuff I built her a studio in her house she started doing vocal technique lessons singing lessons in her own garage which was a studio in the house that we have in Islington so what we've done as the foundation is we're just carrying it on that's so cool loved it. and for anyone who doesn't know Sylvia Young is a stage school isn't it that's yes is that the right it's terminology yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 it's a stage school and they are one of the best and Sylvia Young herself is a remarkable woman and um, it's just an honor to be able to get kids that wouldn't ever have the opportunity to go there to be able to experience it and one of the kids Tafara is his name we put him through the summer scholarship the foundation paid for everything and he got hand-picked by Sylvia and he now attends that school full time. Oh, he got wow. a scholarship, That's a full time scholarship. Wonderful. And it's, it's amazing. So my mum's legacy is still living on because we're trying to help the younger generation fulfill their dreams and to become something within the arts. And it's beautiful because that's what my mum would have wanted. Do you mind my asking, do you have a relationship with your dad? I do. 
I do. Thank God I do. I do. It's only been the past 12 years. Just before I won X Factor, my mum and dad weren't in a very good place. And I remember sitting him down at 19 before it went live on live TV. And I said to him, right, dad, I'm going to be on this show called The X Factor. And I have every intention of being in there for as long as I can be in there. And if that's the case, I need you to be a part of this family again. And I need you and mummy to make up. And I never will forget sitting there in my mum's kitchen and my mum kind of like arms folded, tutting and going, oh, Alex, really? It's never going to work. <laughs> and me going, no, mum, I can make this work. And I remember sitting down with the kids and with my dad and I just said to him, and he won't mind me saying this because it's what's changed all our relationship. But I remember sitting there saying to him, dad, I don't need you anymore. I'm 19. Shanice, my older sister, doesn't need you anymore. David, my older brother, we don't need you anymore. My younger brother, Aaron, needs you. He's at the right age to still need his father. And it would be great if we could work as a team and you could just be a dad that actually communicates. And I know you and mum always argue, but we want you guys to be friends. So you need to do it before X Factor. (laughs) And he said, so when does it air? I went, three days. And he looked at me and went, (laughs) okay, well, there we go. I'm going to step up to that plate. And he did. And he did. And we have a beautiful relationship. My mum and my dad had a great relationship in the last maybe five years of her life, maybe a bit more. It took some time because my mum was a very stubborn woman, bless her. But she came around. And I'll never forget the day when I sat in my living room and I saw my mum and dad talking. And they're going on and nattering about when they were in love in Jamaica when they were younger. And they were laughing. And I'll never forget that day because I remember going to myself, this nearly wasn't achieved. And I was just so pleased that when she went, that they were on great terms, beautiful terms. Mm. Yeah. All because of you. Well done you. Um, Stepping up to the plate there. (laughs) Um, Your final failure really feeds into actually everything we've been talking about, which is your failure to put yourself first. And I wonder if that stems from a belief that it's a bit, indulgent almost like self-care we all think of kind of a bubble bath but actually it's quite it goes deeper than than that but is that why you've struggled with it yeah I've really struggled with it because of guilt (sighs) I'm such a giver and I love to give I like I said earlier I love to love I love everything about talking to strangers wanting to help people like my dream and I know this sounds really stupid and I used to say this to my mum when I was younger. She'd say, you know, what's your dream, Alex? And I used to go, I just want to save the world. I just want to save everyone. She used to sit me down and go, well, Alex, you can't do that. And I used to say to her, but I can try. I can try. Like, I can really try. And, like, you know, I'll be up, even down to last night when I was watching the news and seeing about the free school meals. Straight away, I emailed Islington Council. And I was like, well, how can my mum's foundation help? And how can we provide tablets for children? And how can we, you know, provide school meals? And how can we pay for this? And I've not had an email back yet, so they're going to get a call. But my point <laughs> is, the urge in me to want to help others is always there. The urge in me to want to help myself is not there it makes me feel guilty for even taking five minutes to myself and doing therapy and having my beautiful life coach. She's taught me about giving time to myself. And so when I was, you know, talking to her weekly, I used to say, well, this is me giving back because I've invested in myself to help myself mentally and you're helping me. And and she goes, yeah, but it's more than that. You need to have a little list. So I've created a little top up list that when I'm feeling low, I have this little list and I'll just, you know, pick at something, whether it be a bubble bath or whether it be 
dancing around to my favourite tune or whether it be enjoying a lovely glass of red wine, which I can't do right now because I'm dry January and February and March <laughs> or whatever that may be, you know. And no, like you said, it goes deeper than that. But I feel like I need to learn the power in saying no, the power yeah. in saying I'm really sorry, I can't, or not even being apologetic for it, I've been told, just by saying, I can't do that. And when I can, or if I can, I'll let you know. And I, those words don't fall naturally out of my mouth. So I'm learning to be kinder to myself, not judge myself so much, you know, be gentle with myself. And it's a learning curve. And I, I haven't mastered it yet. I really haven't. I'm, in, I'm still in the beginning stages of figuring it all out, really. Do you think what you're doing in some ways is learning how to parent yourself? Oh, so, okay, right. Yes. I say yes because, you know what, since my mum not being here, I've been so lost. Mm. She was the one that I would turn to for decisions, for advice, shoulder to cry on everything and since her not being here I have my auntie but I don't want to burden her I have my dad I don't wish to burden him I have my siblings I don't wish to burden them I have my best friend sitting right next to me I don't wish to burden her so in a way I'm just trying to figure it all out yeah just trying to take each day figure it out like figure this thing called life out without her without my mum and how have you managed to say no more if indeed you have because that is something that I completely understand is yeah, a struggle I, it's a struggle I think since doing the show that I told you about in October mm. <laughs> no it's become a little bit easier to be honest with Good. you it's become a little bit easier yeah and to the point where I spoke to one of my friends, Sabrina, the other day on FaceTime. We had a love God, about a four-hour catch-up, as you do. And she said to me, because I hadn't filled her in about anything, and she said, God, there's something really different about you. You seem way more together. Your head seems clearer. And I said, really? She goes, yeah. And I said, I feel it. She goes, something in you has switched where you're not tolerating certain things anymore. And I went, it really has. Something has really switched. And... Those eight days have made it easier for me to go, no, I can't, no, sorry, I can't, I can't do that because it's either not for me or something doesn't feel right. Or actually I can't, for example, be in this moment in this relationship right now because I'm worth more. Yes. Yes, Alex. And that's why I'm, I'm so excited for you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yes, you're single yeah. by choice because yes. you have acquired enough data about what you are now worth. Exactly. And the only person you're going to get into a relationship with next is going to be someone who meets you at your level. Absolutely. Because you're putting that out there now because that's, you're yes. owning your yes. own power. And I'm so proud of you yeah. for doing Thank that. Thank you so much. And it feels good. And I, know that I was saying I'm lost without my mum and I'm always going to be lost without my mum to an extent but I felt a certain strength in the past three months that no one could take that from me mm -hmm. and I'm working on myself with my life coach I'm working on saying no I'm working on myself health wise because I want diabetes to stop with me in my life now like in my family because it's hereditary or everything we've gone through every woman has died of kidney failure in our family and I want it to stop with me. I want it to stop. I want to break that chain. And I'm determined to be the healthiest I can be 
be as mentally strong as I can be and be happy and know my worth and know that I won't stand for anything less than greatness. I won't stand for anything less than happiness. I won't stand for anything less than joy, passion, love and being vulnerable. That's okay. And I'm allowed to be, and I can show some weakness at times and not feel like it's shameful. And you know what, when somebody wants to commit to me the way I will commit to them, because I give everything in a relationship with the next person that God brings to me, which may be two, five years from now, who knows? I'm happy to wait. I'm happy to wait because I want that trust. I want that love. I want everything that comes with a beautiful relationship. And yes, there'll be ups and downs and that's fine. But when you're a team and you're best friends, you can conquer life together. Mm. 100%. I mean, I want to go out with you, so. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go. Let's do it. We can. As Uh, soon as it's all over, we're going out. I know. (laughs) Um, Honestly, like having heard you talk over the last hour, I cannot wait for your next album. I just feel like clearly you're going to put a lot of this in that, as you always do. Yeah, And that's going to be exciting. I will do. And I won't be afraid to open up. And I won't be afraid to be myself. And you know what, talking to you, you've made me actually open my eyes up to a lot of things because sometimes I, I, you know, you can think about these things and talk about it in your own head and not actually physically speak it out loud. And certain things that we've just addressed today, you've given me some strength, Elizabeth. So thank you. Thank you. Alexandra Burke. I cannot thank you enough for coming on How to Fail. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This episode of How to Fail is sponsored by Vichy Laboratories, whose product Mineral 89 Hyaluronic Acid Hydrating Serum has been described very accurately as a glass of water for your skin. I don't know about you, but I have been reading for years about the benefits of hyaluronic acid on your skin, and this is the product to use. Don't just take my word for it. It has been approved by the British Skin Foundation. Not only that, but it's hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested. It is an intensely hydrating skincare solution, clinically proven to hydrate, plump and boost skin's radiance for healthy, glowing skin. There are over 1,500 five-star consumer reviews and it's also award-winning. It's Glamour Magazine's 2020 Best Hydrating Serum, which shows just how much other people love it. Anyway, we all need a bit more hydration during lockdown, don't we? So if you would like a Vichy Laboratories Mineral 89 Hyaluronic Acid Hydrating Serum, go to lookfantastic.com and use the code HEALTHYSKIN20, all one word, HEALTHYSKIN20, for 20% off Mineral 89 products. This offer is available until the 31st of March. Thank you very much to Vichy Laboratories. If you enjoyed this episode of How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, I would so appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe. Apparently, it helps other people know that we exist.